Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. Brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafted guitar pickups made with love. Down in Detroit City. Check them out. PariahPickups.com. Joining me on the program today is Ellis Meek, a singer-songwriter who got my attention a year or so ago with a song called Night Moon, back when he was known as Jordan Paul. I was immediately drawn to Night Moon, and I've been a fan of his ever since. Now, he returns to the show today after having recovered from the very serious illness that he suffered that forced him to cancel his scheduled appearance on the show back in November. Here he is. Ellis Meek, thank you so much for joining me today, man. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Brent. It's good to be back. I'm glad to have you back. Now, you were on the roster for the No Sleep Till Sudbury Steam Whistle special back in November of last year, and that was when you were known as Jordan Paul. But shortly before you were scheduled to come in, you had alerted me to the fact that you weren't feeling well and that you probably shouldn't come in. And after that, you proceeded to become quite ill. And I just found out about this a couple of weeks ago. So we were talking about it, and it's quite possible that you, you did actually have COVID. Yeah, it's presumed that I did anyways by my doctor. But either way, whatever I had really wiped me out, and I ended up not being able to breathe for quite some time, wow. losing my voice, and it created a lot of rheumatoid responses. So I couldn't play or sing for months. And still to this day, I'm not at full capacity and using an inhaler. So I'm just kind of bouncing back from that. But I really feel like that gave me a new perspective. And I'm now, you know, really grateful for every moment because there was a point there where I thought I, I wouldn't play or sing again. And I felt like I really had to re-examine the importance of gratitude and appreciation and appreciating myself and others beyond physicality to mm. a much greater extent. Wow. Yeah. Well, something like that. I mean, you had told me in, in your message that you think that it's quite possible that you could have died. You know, people talk about stuff like this all the time. This is a very serious you know, situation. And as we talked about it, I thought like, good on you for not coming in because it could have turned into a super spreader. And, and you quite honestly, you know, without being overly dramatic, you quite honestly probably saved a couple of people, potentially saved their lives. That's definitely possible because I, I truly did feel, yeah, at one point that I was going to die from whatever this was. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely was the right choice not coming in, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad that you're feeling better. It's a crazy story. Yeah, me too. And I wouldn't ever want to expose anyone else to that. And it definitely sort of conveys the, the seriousness of this illness. Mm -hmm, definitely. You know, a lot of people missed you back in November and the Steam Whistle folks, I was talking to them about this and they told me that you are welcome to come back anytime. They told me to tell you that. That's amazing. I would absolutely love to because I know, you know, I was really disappointed. I, I knew I couldn't be there. So that's great that the door is open because, you know, I love the roundhouse and mm -hmm. you got to like Steam Whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, they uh, they wish you well, and they send their best. So I'm glad oh, you're feeling better. This is great. And I'm glad to have you here today. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you. We were going to talk about back in October, you had released uh, Archetype X, a lot of great material you've been um, kind of compiling in the last little while since you and I spoke. So Archetype X came out last October, and it was accompanied by a really cool video, actually. 
was actually uh, put together using footage from a student film made by Art Clokey, okay. who was the creator of Gumby. Oh, no way. So, it's, yeah, it's actually in the public domain, but it's something he created originally as a student film. Oh. And he had showed to a producer, I can't remember at which big studio, NBC or something along those lines, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not entirely sure. They saw him do this, and he was asked if he would consider doing children's programming in the claymation style, and that's where Gumby was born. No way. Wow, it, it does, you know, the more I think about it now, I, I can make that connection in my mind. It, it, it makes perfect sense to me watching the video. Totally. Yeah. I thought it, you know, it really fit the song well, and I edited it to it. It's kind of awesome. That's one thing about public domain footage. And with the current restrictions, it's kind of hard to film a video right now. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, getting to really edit the video and add another dimension to the song is really special. And even getting Art Clokey's work to sort of live on through this is, to me, a pretty uh, awesome honor. Well, you know, it, it just adds to your mystique. That's the thing. I mean, I, I, I saw the video for Night Moon, one of your first singles, and uh, yeah. it got my attention because you were sending this message. And I, you know, it really made me think. I love the song, obviously still do, but like the video provides this alternate imagery and you think like, what is he trying to tell me here? It's just a, a fascinating video. And this is the exact same thing. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to tell a visual story, too. And I think that one of my favorite things about multimedia and the, is being able to combine video and sound and the extra dimensionality that that brings. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my greatest interests and passions is how they can work together yeah. to make the piece and the story stronger. Yeah. Now, Ellis, you've got uh, your songs here, and this is uh, this is from actually the Steam Whistle session. So you've got your old list. It's uh, an yeah. obscure and sophisticated list, as your last one was. And, uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, there's there's great picks. There's a couple I love on this list. So we're going to get to those. So you kick it off with Beatles. It's all too much. This is on Yellow Submarine, I think. It was it was left off Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was a Yellow Submarine sort of a in many ways, kind of a throwaway track because it's it's a Harrison song. Mm-hmm. It's not one that really gets enough love, in my opinion. You almost never hear of it. I mean, you'd never hear of it in the greatest Beatles songs list or, you know, if you were just a, a sort of occasional listener of the Beatles, you might not have even ever heard it. Mm-hmm. It is obscure. It is kind of cool because I think it was recorded too late for Sgt. Pepper. I know it was left off. Yeah, I believe it was... Sort of at the, either at the tail end of those sessions or just after. I'm quite sure it was just after. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I love about the song is that to me, I think it's actually one of the most simple and the most spiritual of any of the Beatles catalog. Mm. I love the idea that it conveys of non attachment. You know, all the world's birthday cakes will have a piece, but not too much. Mm-hmm. I just think that line sums up the whole thing really well. George was uh, a very spiritual, sentimental songwriter. If you you know you think about "All Things Must Pass," there was a couple songs on that record that were Beatles rejections. You know, he he had approached sure. the band and and they said no, it doesn't fit. He was always seemingly very conscious of his role in society and what he was giving to people and what they were giving back to him. I find. Yeah, and I think you know he believed like I do, that, you know, we're not these bodies and we're all, we're all connected through this 
experience and you know we're all one we're all the same and that you know it's really important to not only love others but to be able to do that to to love ourselves Mm -hmm. okay your next tune here is uh i'm not familiar with this one lonnie holly and all rendered truth yeah i love this one lonnie holly i think is one of the most interesting figures in art and music. So he was also called the Sandman. And his birthday, actually, his birthday is February 10th. So I don't know when this is going to go on air, but today is February 9th. So his birthday is actually tomorrow. Mm. So I definitely wanted to give a shout out to him for that. He was the seventh of 27 children (laughs) born to his mother during the Jim Crow era. And he's this really interesting figure. He's from Birmingham, Alabama. So he's from the South and he was, he was traded. He claims to have been traded for a bottle of whiskey when he was four years old. Like he's just had this tragic and yet amazing story. First, his sister lost two children Mm -hmm. and he carved their tombstones. And that was his first work of art. And then he started making all this found object art so he would find trash from all over the city and turn it into art and he covered his whole yard Mm -hmm. in this art and he had a very modest house and i think when they were expanding the birmingham airport yeah they were going to pay fifteen thousand dollars or something for his house but because of his art he managed to get something like two hundred thousand dollars or something for the house and uh he had his art shown at uh the smithsonian American Folk Art Museum, like all over. He's done some really, really cool stuff. And I think he just sort of brought some of his sandstone carvings to the Birmingham Museum of Art director. Mm-hmm. And the guy was just blown away that he made any of this out of sandstone and sort of took off from there. And as a musician, he started to just record music that was totally stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about his music. And All Rendered Truth, the acronym is A-R-T, Art. And I ah. think that's the beauty behind it. And it's just this stream of consciousness poem over this sort of long form drone and synth experiment. And I just think it's one of the most fascinating things. I think his story just, you know, really, really speaks to your heart and soul. Mm-hmm. If you listen to this guy, it's it's amazing. And he worked a lot of jobs like a lot of artists and musicians did. He worked a lot of jobs I did. He was a janitor, he was a dishwasher all that stuff. So uh, he's just a fascinating character. Wow. I have to check that out. Yeah, he's really cool. He's done, co- yeah, Lonnie Holly. Mm, that's great. Definitely worth checking out. He He's a father of 15 himself. Oh too, my so God. Yeah, he's a really, really interesting guy. <laughs> Harry Nilsson is next. This is a great pick. The song is called One. This is a favorite of mine. I love Amy Mann's version of this. Yeah, that's a fantastic version. And I think the, probably the most well-known version is the Three Dog Night version. I think it even may have been a number one Billboard hit. Mm. Well, I'm not it was sure. definitely a top 10, but you know, he sort of gave Three Dog Night a career with that song. And mm. I think Nilsson doesn't really get remembered enough for how deep and amazing his catalog really is. You know, he's got all these wonderful, wonderful two and a half minute, less than three minute masterpieces that just tell this perfectly concise story. And I think one is one of the most ultimate, uh, penultimate examples of, of this for him. It's just a heart and gut wrenching song. It's just beautiful. And his voice, yeah. It's an incredible song. It's an incredible composition, actually. 
Yeah, it really is. The electric piano, the way it comes in, just everything about it I find beautiful. It's one of my favorite songs, actually, to play. Oh, you play this. Yeah, I love yeah, I love playing his catalog. I think uh, he sort of had a similar vocal range to me, and I just love singing his songs. I find every time I find something new in them, and I learn something about myself and my own songwriting through him. Mm-hmm. Another cool fact about Harry is, you know, John and Paul both said in the heyday of the Beatles that he was their favorite songwriter. Their favorite American musician was Harry Nilsson. Oh, really? Eh? Wow. Yeah, and how how he got on their radar uh, the story goes is that Derek Taylor, who was the press manager for the Beatles and mm-hmm. heavily related uh, throughout their whole career, he apparently, whether or not he had heard him do this Beatles mashup or not, but on one of Nilsson's records, he did a mashup of many, many Beatles songs. Okay. And that record, uh, Derek Taylor bought 15 cases of it or something he bought tons of copies of this record and he distributed it to everybody he knew including the Beatles and then you know Nilsson's sort of sitting in the studio and he gets a phone call from John Lennon and then he gets a phone call from George Harrison first he thought somebody was screwing with him that he was getting pranked he's like wait no who is this really it's John Lennon no who is this (laughs) and then slowly he got invited into their circle and him and Ringo and him and Lennon became, you know, really close friends. And unfortunately, I think at the destruction of him and John, they uh, they like to party a lot together. Oh, but yeah. I remember seeing those um, John's Lost Weekend pictures with Nelson. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, that Lost Weekend, a lot of people think that's the last time that Paul and John ever played and recorded together. Hmm. Nilsson and John were working on a record of Nilsson, and McCartney and Stevie Wonder showed up at the studio, (laughs) and they ended up uh, all jamming together. Wow. Where are the tapes? Uh, They're called, they exist. They're called, I believe they're called a toot and a snore, which was a reference to uh, Lennon asking uh, if Stevie wanted a little toot. No (laughs) way. Wow. Yeah. I want to hunt that down i'd love to hear that yeah it's different it's certainly not polished but i think they were a bit inebriated so <laughs> i bet have you seen those pictures of lennon oh yeah, they're, oh yeah yeah almost sad oh i know they really went after it neil young is next bandit this is from greendale i think early 2000s yeah which is not an album that i think sort of like it's all too much this song just doesn't get enough love for what it is bandit it's one of those songs for me it moves me to tears every time i hear it i Mm. think it's it's neil at his most vulnerable to me and there's something about you know the story of this flawed character who's sort of given up and yet despite everything being in disarray there's still this hope and this reminder that no matter what you're okay everything's Mm. okay and you're gonna find everything you're looking for I think that's such a beautiful message. And then it's interesting because Dylan and Bob Dylan and Neil Young used to have this sort of back and forth with a few different songs. And there's a reference to uh, Bob Dylan in this song that's kind of funny because on Highlands by uh, by Dylan, which was off of Time Out of Mind, Bob sort of sings, I'm listening to Neil Young. I got to turn up the sound. Ah. Someone's always yelling, turn it down. Yeah. So Neil on this record, on Bandit, he's saying, no one can touch you now, but I can touch you now. You're invisible. 
Mm-hmm. You got too many secrets. And this is kind of funny. Then he says, Bob Dylan said that or something like that, oh. <laughs> which I find kind of a, an hilarious line. But that's cool. I it's a reference that. to like a Rolling Stone. Yeah, that's right. That's so cool. I, I love that those guys did that back and forth. Like even that Alabama thing, Sweet Home Alabama with Neil Young and Bowie Skinner, with, uh, yeah. writing a song about, about Robert Zimmerman, you know, Bob Dylan. Yeah, totally. Uh, Lennon did a lot of that too. Lennon would always sneak a, a Zimmerman or a Bob Dylan reference into his songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool. I. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I guess fourth time around, a lot of people say uh, was about that was a Dylan song was about off of Blonde on Blonde actually was about John Lennon uh, sort of copying his style. Yeah. A lot of people think it was kind of a snarky uh, shot at him. And if you listen to it, it's quite similar to Norwegian Wood. So a lot of people say it's a parody of Norwegian Wood. No way. I didn't even know that. Wow, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one for sure. One thing I love about Bandit more than anything is Neil tunes down his E string on the guitar, the low E to a B. Mm-hmm. And you can just hear it. I mean, he's so raw in the way that he records, especially in that period. Mm. And you can just hear that B string vibrating right off the fretboard. I love that. And the texture is just incredible. It's like you're in the room with him when you hear that song. I, you know what? It's funny that you say that because I've always felt like I was in the room with Neil Young when, when I listened to his music, especially the stuff like Old Man and, and Alabama. Yeah. He's not trying to impress you. You know what I mean? He's doing it for himself, and if you like it, then great. But if not, it doesn't matter. You know, that the strings sound like they haven't been changed in five years on his guitar. <laughs> they buzz. His voice cracks. It's not for you. It's for him. He's just a brilliant musician. That's Yeah, that's exactly what I love about Neil Young. I'd say... If I really had to think about it, he's probably the greatest influence on my own music. Mm-hmm. Just because of that, and also my vicinity to his music growing up. I mean, it's hard not to grow up in rural Ontario and not hear Neil Young all the yeah. time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think just by that exposure, I came to, you know, sort of in this osmosis, sort of take on some of Neil Young's sensibilities. I, I love him. Mm-hmm. And I love that rawness. I think that's probably one of the coolest things about him. There's a story from recording Deja Vu uh, with CSNY. And I think it was, I think it was Graham Nash mm-hmm. had done this vocal take. And Neil thought, oh, it was so perfect. Their first takes. He always wanted to keep the first take of everything. Yeah. And Nash went back and re-recorded a bunch of his vocals because he didn't think they were good enough. And Neil was pissed off because mm. he thought that everything that they had done already was perfect and they didn't need to overthink it. Like, he just loved that vulnerability. And, you know, you get it in one or two takes and keep it simple. And that's what makes it more beautiful and bigger. Yeah, yeah. I love that. He's, he's heart. He's all about heart. Oh, yeah. And, and authenticity. Very, yeah. very simple and pure and very, very authentic. And I think that's what it's what it's ultimately about is just being who you are and what you are and laying that on the table mm-hmm. and growing, you know? Absolutely. One more tune here, my friend. It is Jefferson Airplane and Today. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. Mm, 1967. Yeah, the... One of the greatest years, I think, for music, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That definitely. little period after Pet Sounds in 66. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you had Sgt. Pepper's as the answer. 
just everything in 67 was so psychedelic and all the pop music became extremely experimental as that you know psychedelic influence started to permeate everything in in western culture it just became synonymous with it that would have been a crazy time to uh to be alive you know i was born in 69 but like 67 yeah yeah i often think about it i'm sure it would have been pretty incredible Mm -hmm. to experience i know i know when george harrison went to san francisco though he was sort of disheartened by it all because he thought he was going to go and find all these people seeking you know some sort of enlightenment answer love and you know a spiritual Mm -hmm. endeavor but when he got there he just said it was you know a lot of these drug adult kids who were lost and felt really depressed by it and i think that actually changed george harrison in a big way oh wow really yeah, he talks about that, that he was he was really disappointed and kind of saddened when he when he saw San Francisco in that period. Hmm. That's a shame because that's two major disappointments. You know, think about the Maharishi and, and them going down there, you know, and then coming yeah. back and Lennon wrote that song, Sexy Sadie, about the Maharishi. And so two big letdowns for George. For sure. Hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the people that sort of helped George in terms of having, you know, faith in people and his beliefs was his relationship with uh, Ravi Shankar mm-hmm. yep. and the sitar. And I think, you know, the two of them were super alike. But back to today, I just think it's such a lush and intimate song. That whole record, Surrealistic Pillow, is just one of the greatest. And the time that that record came into my life, the airplane quickly became my favorite band for a while oh. there. And yeah. Today was sort of the epitome of that for me just the way their voices blend and i think grace slick is one of the greatest singers there ever was what was your mindset like when uh, the airplane became the starship so i mean i wasn't i would have been i didn't even know if i was born when they became the starship but no i don't, I don't strange no no i don't think so but it's strange that it happened that way i don't mm-hmm. really see a thread between the two bands so i tend to not even think of them as the same everything about it seems totally from another world that's how i look at it I, they're two completely separate bands like you think about we built the city and and i don't i don't know how that came out of you know anything that could have been jefferson airplane yeah it's such a different spirit a different sound the mm-hmm. recordings are processed differently it's not such an organic instrumentation and that's what's so cool about the airplane is there's just this organic, pure, it's like Neil Young again. There's yes. just this purity to it. And I think that song speaks of that thing that I was talking about before, where you have to love yourself before you can love others. Today, to me, is really about that sort of love. This, you know, learning to, learning to love wholly inside and out. And that's what's so beautiful about it to me. Mm-hmm. Apparently the band wrote this song for Tony Bennett. He was recording next door in uh, the same studio that Airplane was, and they wrote this song for him. I had heard something about that. I wasn't sure if it was this song. I remember hearing they did they did that. That's really interesting. I didn't know it was this song. Yeah, no, I, I love the band. I love Airplane. This is a great pick, great way to uh, to end a nice little list that you submitted here. I'm uh, just glad that you're okay, buddy, because we, um, you know, after you're on the show for the first time, we'd hung out a couple times and, uh, you know, when I heard that you were sick, I was, I was pretty bummed. So I'm glad that you're back to normal. 
almost back to normal, but uh, I wish you all the best in terms of your recovery. Well, thanks so much, Brent. I'm doing it day by day, and I'm feeling even stronger because of it. You know, it really helped me get into studying neuroscience and the relationship between the gut and the brain. You know, I, I like to think of it as your second brain, and it really helped me change a lot of my routine and things like that that strengthened other areas that weren't even related to my illness. Like I found so many benefits from how I was feeling as a result of my diet and things like that to keep symptoms down. I found it also changed my mental health and my outlook on life in a big way for the, for the better. A lot of people take that for granted, don't they? You know, I, it just changes in diet and awareness and, and all that stuff. There's so much to that. And I think a lot of people often overlook it, but it's important stuff to consider for sure. It is. It's easy to overlook. And I think a lot of it is actually counterintuitive because the narrative a lot of the time is you need to think positive or change your thoughts. But really, your thoughts developed, your inner dialogue developed later than your biochemical system and your nervous system, which is this age-old system that's in every living thing, you know, your dopamine and everything coming from your amygdala and your brain, there's this reward system that is really only related to our circadian rhythms and we're designed to be diurnal. So if you're getting light in the morning and then at sunset and you're staying away from screens and artificial light in the middle of the night and things like that, you're getting a solid sleep and Mm -hmm. You're, you're eating well, it makes a huge difference. And then all of a sudden, those behaviors start to influence your thought and your inner dialogue. And it's, it's the opposite of what we tend to think. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff, man. I am glad that you're okay, buddy. I, uh, I want to thank you for coming on, taking the time. And I look forward to having you back on maybe at Steam Whistle. Yeah, I would absolutely love to do that and play a few songs and yeah, for sure. That'd be an awesome way to get back out there. And thank you so much for having me, Brent. It's always a pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome, man. It's good to talk to you. Ellis Meek, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>